Hi everyone and welcome to Kids Under Construction. I'm Donna Tatro. In our world right now, we are dealing with two pandemics. One is COVID-19, which came about recently, and the other we've been struggling with as a country for a very long time, and that is systemic racism. My guest is my friend and a fellow mom, and she happens to be a proud, strong African-American woman. By the end of this podcast, I hope we will have learned how to not only talk about racism, but truly learn how to make positive, lasting change. Please welcome my dear friend, Lisa Curtin. Thank you so much, Lisa, for being here. Hi, Donna. Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much. So can you start by talking about that you've had to continue to talk about what Black Lives Matter means? And tell me if this is something that um, comes up with you, where as a white woman, I do feel nervous to have this conversation with- Don't, don't. I'm gonna tell you this right now, don't. Okay. But I'll let you finish, no, no, no. go ahead but and finish. With, no, I like that. <laughs> but sometimes I feel like I may misstep. I may not say the right thing. And so talk to that, tell us, how to have these conversations and to be good listeners. Well, it's, you're talking about having the conversations with your kids? With adults. Oh, okay. So, I mean, first and foremost, I would think that the people who are in your life or, or that you're friends with, that you can have, con- you can have those conversations with them, right? <laughs> I would hope, you know. Um, otherwise, I don't know what to tell you. Then, you know, you have your pocket of people just like, you know, coming from my end, you know, you have your pocket of people that, you know, that you can talk to comfortably. Um, And then at some point you have to have those conversations that aren't so comfortable and we have to be willing to do that. So I think, you know, when you first started to say um, you're uh, you don't know how to approach it or you don't want to misstep. I thought you were talking about kids because it's like, but it's same thing can go for adults. You know, it's like having the sex talk, you know, you don't, you don't want to have it, you know, but you have to, because something will come of it that you might not want, you know? So the same thing, you know? And so for you, whatever the situation is, if there's something that you are uncomfortable, if you feel strongly enough about it, you know, then speak up. And then if the friendship is worth it, then it can survive. But you have a new understanding. No friendship is going to thrive, you know, and then even more so as as a community, there's no way we can can we can try to move forward if everyone is walking on eggshells. Well, but I do what I'm trying to say is I think they are walking on eggshells. The people who are not at you, because I did see on a post you explaining this message again, saying this is what this means. It's not against you, or it doesn't mean that your life doesn't matter. But then I saw somebody kind of going back and forth with you and trying to defend that. And that's where I say you put those people in another bucket. (laughs) Black people are tired. You know, we can only lead so far. Meaning, I mean, look, I have two Black sons and a daughter. That's where my energy needs to be, you know? I'm not here to, I can explain as I did in that case to that person. And yeah, and she is a friend and we did go back and forth and it's kind of like you either get it or you don't at this point. And when I say put someone in a bucket, we can't save everybody at 
this point, maybe, maybe through someone else, she might get it, but I can only do my part. And at the same time, it's also self-care to a point, like I can only explain so much. And if I can continue to say the same thing over, um, to say all lives matter continuously and try to argue me on it, when I'm telling you, explaining what BLM in detail means, it's dismissive. And if someone can't get that, you know, as my friend, you know, then that's all I can do. You know what I mean? Then we have to put you in another bucket. And then I have to move on to someone like you who wants to know and who wants to understand and who wants to move forward. Because trust me, there are going to, there is going to be a group of people who don't want to move forward. And there's such a thing as um, willful ignorance, you know, you know, better, but you're not doing better because, and in that post that you're talking about, the person specifically said a couple of times, um, because she was saying she was explaining it to her father, who's of an older generation, that he was defensive. He was defensive. And when I bring this up, people get defensive. Well, you have to ask yourself, why? Why are you defensive? That's not a problem that I have to deal with. That sounds like something that you feel threatened. I am talking about Black people being killed. You know, the reason the movement was created, let's look at that. It was created because Black people are being killed by the police, by other people who feel they have the right, you know, and that's the reason the movement was born. Nobody's thinking about um, you're being defensive. We are bringing it to the world as an issue. If for someone to take that and say, oh, Black Lives Matter, well, what about me? I'm so defensive. That means they weren't hearing where it originated. They weren't hearing, all they hear is black lives. And as soon as you say black lives, same thing with, you know, women and me too, you know? Right, right. <laughs> well, why, wait a minute. Did you hear me say so-and-so got raped? You know, did you hear where this is coming from? Do you care where this is coming from? And that's where I choose to focus my attention. Lisa, I want to know beyond that person do you feel like people have come to you and want to hear more right now at this moment of in time? Yeah. Uh, you know, I appreciate and I, I really have to wonder. I'm happy for it. I'm happy that it's getting the attention. Let's see where it goes because it's been so long. I'll be honest, I'm a little skeptical, but I am hopeful. Um, but I have been getting, you know, I mean, George Floyd died. And all of a sudden, I don't know, it's been an avalanche of protests and support from non-Black people and, you know, people we've never seen before and corporations we've never seen before, you know, stepping up and showing interest. And people who never called me have been calling, you know. But what happened when Tamir Rice died? What happened when Breonna Taylor died two months ago? What right. happened when Amon Aubrey died? Even when Amon Aubrey died. In February, his video came out a month before this. No one was protesting, you know, except Black people <laughs> and a handful of allies, you know, who have already been involved with the movement. But I always think I'm like, okay, maybe it was too much. Maybe it's COVID and people are home. They don't have nothing else to do and they are more aware. I don't know. But like all of a sudden it's an avalanche. So when you say you know, people are coming and, and do I notice? I do notice, but where has everyone been all this time? So, yeah. 
And, and I mean, and that to me says, and I've always said this, people are, I've said this when Kaepernick was kneeling and people yeah. were outraged. I was like, there's so many people in a bubble. They just see, just how you said, Black Lives Matter. They just see the kneeling. They just see, and they're not even asking the question why. They're not asking why these people are hurting. Why, what is going on? You know, we can, we are handling it on our own in the form of protest. And then those that are in government and, you know, trying to change the laws and the cops that are good. And, you know what I mean? We're doing everything that we can. But it is obviously going to take a community because the people who are killing and the people who are committing these acts are not black people, you know, most of them <laughs> right, are right. not black people, you know. So it's going to take other people and other forms of punishment, you know, other other um, what do I want to say other ways to um have retribution. What's the, I want to I want to yeah. say like what's what's a way that we can get the attention of police forces that violate, you know, those types of issues like meaning like who's putting people in a chokehold? Where are these knee um holds coming from? Like there needs to be some sort of you know, actual um an actual actual laws and rules within the force to stop that. I mean, it's it, yeah. Absolutely. And it's, to me, it, it feels as a white person, so overwhelming. So I can't even imagine how it must feel for you. And when we talk about your two boys and what they have to fear and think about, and I'd really like for you to explain to all of us, this conversation that you have to have with your two boys because of what we're living in and have always lived in what your father and your family has had to live through. I mean, I just have, I I don't even know where to begin there. (laughs) It starts from very young, you know, and it doesn't even necessarily come from the point of, of a place of sitting them down. It comes from them witnessing you know, things. It comes from them seeing, you know, maybe I might be treated differently or they might be talked to differently than, you know, their friends, you know? Um, So then you have those conversations, you know, that's how I would treat it. You know, Um, the conversations I basically have with them are, you know, you know, your rights. I mean, when they're little, there's only so much you can say, you know, you teach them like everyone else is teaching their kids, but I do teach them from a place of history. I teach them the things that they don't teach in school, you know, about who they are, about where they come from, about leaders before them that are not the Martin Luther Kings, that are not the Rosa Parks, not the usual that you hear in class so that they know what they come from. So that already gives them a sense of confidence and empowerment to be able to navigate in the world. Right. But as, as their mother, yes. when your oldest son goes out driving and knowing when Ellis is going to be out in the world by himself, talk about the fear, the hurt, the pain, the like, could this happen to my baby? Yes, it could happen in the, in, in the world we're living in right now. Like explain to us what that feels like. Well, I'm not about living in fear. Um, I'm trying to put my kids in the best place possible, you know, so that, and, and trust me, you're never going to get away from it. 
Um, but I try to empower them, you know, just with knowledge and knowing what their rights are and, you know, keep your hands on the wheel if you're stopped. And, you know, I've been fortunate that we have not had those things happen to my oldest, but um, they certainly have happened to my ex-husband. But, and so they're aware, like I said, they see, you know, and they've heard and they see the news and they see what has happened. But as a parent, when you talk about fear, we cannot live in fear. And I understand, you know, people who, you know, live in, um, certain communities where police patrol in higher percentages, um, there is definitely a reason for that. And there is worry. So for that, I just say, that's why we are challenging the system because it's going to come from, you can't stop kids from going out. You can't stop them from driving, even driving a nice car. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not on my kid, you know, to fix your racial biases, to fix the biases of that cop, you know, learn that it's okay for a kid to drive a certain kind of car, you know, and not get stopped or, you know what I mean? Like, so things like that, that's what I need to need to be put in place. Everyone is asking black people, like, what are we doing? What are we doing? We shouldn't have to be doing that. No, you know, we should be teaching them same as you're teaching. (laughs) Right. Right. Do you have that conversation with your kid about, you know what I mean? But I get it that we have to, but I feel like as long as we are teaching them to be as strong as they can be, and yes, there is that added layer of, you know, what to do when you are stopped by the police or if someone says this to you, you know, how or how it does not escalate, that's important. But I think the bigger issue is what is going to happen in the system to change those biases. How can non-Black people, non-Brown people help to do this? You have to educate yourselves. I mean, I don't know. I can't. Here's the thing. I can't tell non-Black people how to be good people, you know, and it comes from whatever was instilled in that person from long ago to believe that people of a certain color were inferior and then treat them accordingly. So when people say, how can I help? You know, if you're already willing you know, then there's a bunch of stuff, you know, obviously donating and, you know, educating yourselves and teaching your own kids. Um, But it, again, it just comes down to where is it coming from? If you're not feeling comfortable in spaces where you can speak out against racism, if you don't feel comfortable where you can check your, you know, older relative at the dinner table at Thanksgiving, when they're spewing that stuff around your kids, you know, then we're not going to get anywhere. No. And I, I think that I, I, I think when we talked earlier about being uncomfortable, I've got no problem if anybody says anything about anybody um, to call them out. I think the being uncomfortable is to make sure that I'm doing the right thing by you. And what I'm hearing from you is that I need, I need to learn more about the history mm-hmm. because I wasn't taught to be a racist. I mean, when, when somebody would be killed, I would feel horrible. Here's how I feel. Mm-hmm. I would be hor I would be horrified. Here's the thing, Donna, really quick. I can't yeah. tell you the answer because yeah. I don't know what's going on on the other side. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Right. Like the same way you're saying, oh, you hear stuff and then you, you're like, that's terrible. And then you go back to, I don't, I, I, there's no way I can give an answer, not knowing what the source of the disconnect is. Right. 
So right. go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, but I, but, I'm but, very interested to hear because I've had other conversations and I'm sorry I didn't answer your question earlier when you're talking about my white, white friends of mine reaching out. Like I've gotten some insight as to because we would just like think, oh, you just don't know. You know what I mean? And um, okay. that's the end of it. And like I said, you know, black people are tired. We don't really have the time to spend. It's only if you're a good friend then I'm, I'm just taking the time to talk to you because it's you <laughs> in this case, you know, because right. it's interesting to me or I, I have a vested interest, you know, um, for people to do better, you know. So that's why I want to have the conversation. But a stranger coming up in the street, you're on your own, you know, because you've had years to get it together. The reason I wanted to do this podcast was because what we were talking about earlier, when I see these murders happening as a white person, a white mother in my house, in my community, I don't know what the hell to do. Right. Just like, you know, when we have school shootings and we say prayers and we're, there's prayers, well, you have to do more than prayers, but it's, it's this kind of this feeling like, what do I do? How can I help? And that's why I wanted to talk to you because I want to learn more. And I do genuinely think that a lot of people want to learn and do better. And I, I feel like I'm seeing that come out, but as we have talked about, there is this news cycle and will this die down because the news moves on to the next talk a little bit about that. Um, and how as a community, you feel let down and you have this, it's just over and over and over again, this, this not doing it's the right frustrating. thing. Yeah. It's frustrating because how you say the news cycle, you know, lets it die down. That's the media. But in the black community, it never dies down, you know, and what you're seeing are just the things that are caught on camera and that are just publicized. You know, there's people, there was a, a shooting since George Floyd in this last week, you know, that everything going on, it's like, oh, someone else, you know what I mean? So uh, these things continue to happen on a regular basis, unfortunately, but it's like how you're saying, like, what do you do? The black, the black community is in the same boat. You know, only thing is that we cannot, you know, return to the comfort of our homes and just move forward because you could be next or, you know, your kids could be next. Or how do I prepare my kids or how am I going to be prepared? You know, I even had a cop seven, eight months ago, you know, and I'm a woman, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, not that that matters, but I'm just saying, you know, um, I'm driving along and got stopped and for my tags and they told me, oh, don't, you can't reach that fast because that's how people get shot, you know, but it's like a constant, you know what I mean? You can't get away from it, you know? Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know what your question was. I'm sorry. We're just talking. No, I just, <laughs> I want it. I just want to keep having this conversation because I want people to understand where you're coming from, where families like yours are coming from. And as I've seen this turmoil happen and this murder, this one murder happen and what has evolved since, I see, at least from my perspective, that white people want to help. Do you you see that? No. Because that's where it comes from where I'm saying, why now? Like, why haven't white people helped? You say white people want to help now. I, I 
don't know what's different about now. The only thing I can put my finger on is that things were happening back to back to back to back quickly. And I do attribute it partly to COVID-19 and everyone being home, you know, or being, having the time. Um, I, that's my philosophy. But like, like I started to tell you before, Ahmad Arbery happened, you know, video just came out. So the, the, the environment already is palpable, you know, and people are already outraged because there's a video the um, perpetrators thankfully were arrested. You know, we're in the midst of all that, this vigilantism, you know, and it's to the extreme. I just feel like the universe keeps showing us worse and worse and worse and worse until people get it. Because it's like with everyone, it's like, how do you not get it? Breonna Taylor was shot in her house, you know, and a Tatiana Jefferson was shot in her house. Like just before that, it gets no clearer than that. But no repercussions yet, you know? Uh, but I say all that to say, okay, Ahmaud Arbery's video came out. People were feeling that. Now, let's say if nothing happened since then, this might very well have been one of those other stories, you know, because now we're going through the legal process with that. And that's where some of the um, the uh, tension dies down because, you know, the court process is very long. So that works in the favor of perpetrators because people forget people go about their lives while this is working itself out in the systems. We won't hear about it again until there's a verdict. Right. Right. But that happened. And this is the way I traced it in my head. So that happened. Then, um, uh, Amy Cooper in central park. I don't know if you saw that happen, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, on the same day that George Floyd was killed. There was that, you know, the woman in the park calling the police. Now, that was that was interesting because again, I like I say, it keeps happening worse and worse and worse, higher and higher and higher. How do you have a woman, you know, on the phone telling a black man, I'm calling the police and telling them some uh, uh, African American man is threatening me, like to his face. He's not threatening her. He's no. she's telling him what he's gonna do. You know, right. it has gotten to that. People have gotten so comfortable with. I'm going to, you know, I can't curse, can I? Yes, you can. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to fuck up your life, you know, and I'm going to tell you to your face. And the, even the fact that he had his phone on her didn't, I think, and you know what, I, I'll even tell you this, this is messed up, but there is no accident, again, by the universe that she had her dog with her, because I feel like that made another set of people pay attention even more, because there were people more concerned about the dog being yanked around than the fact that she was calling the black man. Because yes, yes, Donna, if you look at comments, if you look at people's oh, they were like, get the dog, get the dog. That's why she got the attention on another, we talk about buckets. That's why those calls came in. I don't know necessarily if it would have come out if it was just her calling. But anyway, I say that to say, you know, Ahmad Arbery, Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper, no relation. And then... That day was when George Floyd, unfortunately, was killed. Boom, boom, boom. Three in a row. It's like we can't take anymore. That It's like a perfect storm, really. And then I feel like that is what made people pay attention. And then it just snowballed from there. Because like I said, this is nothing new. This is, you know, Black men are getting killed. You know, like we could trace it back. You know, if we put a timeline together, it's got to be, you know, we can't go a good three, four or five months without one. So this, what's different? Okay, within the span of a week, 
all these things happen, then you can't help. If you are a half decent person who's paying attention, then you can't help but notice. And I feel like that's the reason. Okay. And that, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. And when you talk about that like that, do you feel, what I'm trying to ask you is, do you feel like because it was this perfect storm and everything that was set up and the universe is kind of exposing all of this at once, does it give you a little bit of hope? Oh yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm just trying to be realistic because there've been plenty of times where we've had hope. I mean, Martin Luther King was hope. And look Hello. What happened, you right. know? Right. So you can only get your hopes up so far. And I think Black people have a resilience that says, you know, it's not going to happen unless I make it happen. You know what I mean? And so everyone is in their own mode and their own doing their own ways of activism or having their own methods of activism. But this now, it is clearly going to take a collaborative effort, you know? Um, And so when you say, do I have hope? Yeah, I'm happy that people, like I said, people are calling, what can I do? What can I do? Um, You're going to have to figure it out, but (laughs) no. Yes. But because we are all in a fight for our lives, you know? And we don't have time. It's not even that. I don't even, I don't want to say that. Okay. I, I, like I said, my, my time and my priority are my kids, you know, and teaching them and protecting them. You know, if, like I said, a friend comes along, we could have the discussion. I am up for it. But a lot of people are just coming out the woodwork to say, I never heard of this before. I never understood that. I'm not going to ever, um, turn somebody down or, or, um, try to make someone feel bad for that. But you do need to catch up. You do need the, to do the work. You do need to do what we've done. Shoot, we were in in school before college for twelve years, learning American history. You know. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. it's your turn. Yeah. No, and I I get it, and, and I and and that's half the battle, Donna. Right there, like everything that's happening currently is what's happening. But I feel like there would be so the perception would be so different. If people knew the history, if people knew why certain things were happening, why you talk about systemic racism, um, that's there's a reason, you know, there's a reason people can judge and say, oh, you know, well, these communities and black on black crime and this is why this is happening. They can they can rationalize, you know, the reason for black people being killed. But do you understand that how how these and this is not a victim speech, you know, this is like this is how things got to this point. Yeah. Yeah. And then what Um, are you going to do about that? Because you can't fix the current day issues unless we go back and say, you know, this is how we got to, you know, these, these, you know, economic uh, indifferences, you know, what are we going to do about that? How are we going to correct that? Well, exactly. I mean, I think too, the pandemic has really shown this, this disparity and um, it's, it's kind of like, shining, shining a big, bright light. Yes. And I think that that has awoken some people as well. I want to talk to you a little bit about protests versus the looting and your feelings on it. Okay. There's protesters and there's looters, period. That's my (laughs) take on it. No, but honestly, I'm not going to tell anybody, first of all, how to protest. Okay. Okay. I will say I am not for breaking the law. 
And then I, that's where I leave it, you know, because I can tell you that the majority of people out there are not looters. Majority of people out that's there, right. and I've seen it with my own eyes, are opportunists, you know, and people who don't look like me, you know, who are right. walking around trying, depending on what area you're in, they find out where we even had, where I live, we had a um, bulletin from the sheriff's office because people find out where the protests are. And then they make their way up this way to right. be able to take advantage, you know. And so right. there's, there's certain things to look out for. But in terms of looter, I, I want what I have to say about that is people need to stay focused. People need to not allow that to distract them because that's exactly what it is. It's a distraction. It's a way of, oh, let's get away from the meaning because then we can blame the looting, the destruction on this is the reason we can't give in to Black Lives Matter, or this is the reason why they get what they get, because this is what, no, that is a result of, you know, people trying to do the right thing and make change and protest against oppression. And then people don't want that. And then they come along and try to negate the movement by acting up. Right. People have to understand that they're, they're I mean, okay, there's of course going to be knuckleheads out there who are looking to, you know, take advantage. Um, but that's, a, I honestly believe that is a small percentage. There's another percentage trying to discredit the movement. And then the rest are people who are very willing to protest peacefully. And that's where we have to keep our mind. We have to, anyone, you know, with who really wants to move forward has to say, I'm not going to let that you know, distract me. And then I guarantee you, if that's the, the thought process, then the peaceful will override the looters. I believe that too. I think what's interesting too, is that a lot of young people are coming out to protest. That's good. And, and to me, that means that there's awareness where prior generations, not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the newer generations, I think, you know, they're, they're more diverse. They're coming along during a time where, you know, things were, uh, not as stringent, you know, and maybe their parents taught them, you know, how, you know, I don't know, that's like pro civil rights, you know? So I would like to think that, you know, we progressed since then, uh, the generations are two, three generations after that. But like the young people, I think are more open-minded now and, you know, trying to make a way for, you know, what's right. You know what, when I first asked you about this podcast and coming on it, I, I wanted to talk to you about how we can educate our kids. And I quickly learned that Donna parent has a lot of education herself to do before I can go out and educate my children. I mean, I, they, they're in a home that they, are taught love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, they're taught to respect all people, that all people deserve the same dignity. But um, there's going to be a different education curriculum going on here in this house to um, really help Black Lives Matter and that movement. And I asked you to, for people who want to hear, and for people who want to do better, and for people who want to educate their kids to do better, what they could do. And you sent me some great bullet points, and I wanted to talk to you about a few of them, and I wanted to talk to you about exposure. 
Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I think that it's not such a big deal for kids who are not children of color <laughs> to, to, I think they're more open-minded once they are around other kids of color, because it's not a big deal. And then you're not seeing differences or you're not learning about differences through, you know, um, someone who might already be tainted. Or I, when I wrote exposure to you, I was trying to say, don't take them, you know, expose them to people who don't look like them in an environment that uplifts, that celebrates that, you know, where they're, they are seen as peers, not necessarily always a sporting event, you know, which is sometimes the only time kids will see a black person <laughs> right, as, right. as entertainment, you know? So right. I think that that does something for the psyche, you know, and as kids grow up, if they really are seeing people of color in a capacity that's other than that. Talk a little bit about educating your kids beyond the classroom. And just oh. relying on what they're learning in school, because clearly we got a lot more teaching to be happening in the schools to rid um, ourselves of racism. Yeah. Well, that's the fun part. You know, that's when you get to branch out and, you know, you look at writers, you know, black writers, Native American writers, Asian writers, Hispanic writers, people who are not in the bubble of literature, what we're necessarily taught. I wasn't taught in school. You know, um, and then I wasn't either. Yeah. And what do you know about black history? Slavery. That's where it started. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's a start right there. But I said I say that to say for parents, that's the fun part. You know, the school is going to do what it does. And that's another area where, you know, when people say what what can we do? That's for the educators. That's for the administrators to address that. But as parents, you know, we are free to go to the libraries, to go to book readings, you know, kind of what we do, you know, and right. like seek out, you have to make a conscious effort to seek out differences, you know, and in a good way, it does not have to be a bad thing. Just educate them on things that you would not normally know about. Talk a little bit about Colin Kaepernick. And I know that this has been frustrating for you. Um, talk about that and and why there was so much conflict about that. And, and still today mm. with uh, everything going on, people still fighting it, fighting it. You, Donna, that's a great question because I wouldn't think that there would be any type of conflict, you know? Kaepernick came was coming from a place where there was an issue that was passionate. You know, he was passionate about clearly that we were all passionate about. And just as if you're at work, you know, you might pick up a, uh, uh, you might protest or, you know, wherever you are, he felt compelled, you know, knowing that he was a high profile figure, you know, and that's a lot of people's excuse. And like I tell you before, I'm not ever going to tell anyone how to protest. And no one should ever tell him how to protest. And if he's at a game, he's not in the middle of a game. He is at the beginning of the game and chose to, he used to, I don't know if people know that, but he was in the beginning sit just sitting it out on the bench. Yeah. And he was told by an, an, a veteran, hey, a white veteran, hey, this is the respectful way to do this. And that's what he did. Thinking, you would think that people would respond to that. No. So, you know, uh, and, and. You know, a lot of people are, they see it. it that's one thing I would give a, a piece of advice I would give is just to people should stay open, you know, not just empathetic, but you have to stay open and ask the question why. So if he is kneeling, 
don't see it as, oh, he's disrespecting the flag. People are still talking. You saw Drew Brees. Yeah. <laughs> still to this day. Right. Talking about it's disrespecting. I can't emphasize enough. It is not about the flag. We all, it's just like all lives matter. Of course, all lives matters. You right. know, of course we all respect the flag. You know, we, we majority of us have family or have served. My two siblings have served in the military. I get it, but it goes, when, where can I get people's attention and where can I be respectful about it? And that's what, when you ask about Kaepernick, that's what he was trying to do. Now you would think that if we are all, you know, we are all intelligent or we should be, the question should be asked, why is he doing this in such an important moment? You know, freedom of speech, right? Well, not just when it's convenient. So right. how I feel about that is what should have come of that is people, an open society, an empathetic society would say, what is the reason? Oh, Black people are dying. That's the reason. Kaepernick, speak out. Tell us more. How can we make change? That's when it should have been fixed. The NFL had a, they lost a big opportunity. I think 70%, you can check me, 70% or more of the NFL is Black. They should be concerned. Black men should not be a, co a commodity, you know, just to be there, you know, to entertain for however long the games last. But if there is a true concern, we should all speak out wherever we can. It doesn't matter where. And it's not disrespecting the flag. No, and, and the other thing about when you bring up speaking out, um, I, and I think that that's something that, is really, really important to, that along with the curiosity, asking the questions, where is that coming from? Why are you doing that? Um, it just, it, it allows the conversation to be open instead of like, no, you're doing this or no, this. And so I, I really like that asking the questions, the curiosity. I want to ask you, is there something that maybe we haven't talked about that you think is important to um, discuss on this topic? Like we said, like, just be open. Just, but the, the main thing is people just have to be willing. You know, that's the main barrier that has come up. And I get that, that people, you know, have their own experiences. They have their own perspectives. They have their own values. But at some point you have to budge a little bit just in order to listen and make sure. And I'm sure that once people would start to do that, that it would align with their values more than they thought once they actually sat down to see what the problem was. And then you go from there, but just, we can't even get past, you know, it's, it's I don't know if it's an ego trip. I don't know if it's, you know, I mean it, that they call it privilege, you know, it, where you should not have to bend, you know, because that is not your experience. Well, it could very well become your experience, you know, if you let it, you know, if you, if we go another hundred years, it could be. Well, and it's interesting really quickly that you bring up privilege, white privilege. Um, people are unaware of their privilege. Yeah. And they, and I've had full on conversations where because it did not happen to them, it does, it, it doesn't happen. I ha I lost a good friend of mine who, um, I told a little story one time on, uh, social media where I was saying like, I have three kids. Someone came up to me at a party and said, are all these kids yours? I mean, not that someone came up to him party and said, are, do all these kids have the same father? And I was insulted. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I was talking about it and a friend of mine who was white, she said, oh, that's nothing. You know, like 
people ask me that sometimes. Now her kids, one is in his thirties and one is four. So <laughs> I think that's probably maybe where that came from, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, and so she tried to argue that point. And at that point she went in her bucket. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I there's just the left bucket. The, yeah. There's that bucket. Cause I, I'm only going to explain it but so many times and you, you, like I said, willful, willful ignorance. If you, if you are choosing at some point, I can tell you're choosing not to listen. Um, but she went above it. But I say all that to say someone else commented to make the case. And then she just, you know, unfriended me, went away or whatever. And I saw her later on and her answer, forget everything I just told you, forget that someone insulted me at a birthday party and asked if my kids had the same daddy, like to my face. Um, right. She's, her, her words were, I shouldn't, as a white woman, I shouldn't have to defend myself. And to me, that's privilege because that was an issue that I had that was, I was concerned about that I was discussing among friends, but it quickly became her experience. And that's what white privilege is. When someone brings to your attention something you're facing or something that you experienced that was negative and you look at it out of your lens, that couldn't happen because, you know, that wouldn't happen to me. You know, this is what they meant. Or you try to change it. No, really, some people do mean not harm, but some people do mean harm. Right. (laughs) You know, and if you're choosing not to see it from someone else's shoes, that's where we have a problem. So, well, before we can even get to, you know, solving it on a level of laws, we have to be able to, as a community, come together. We can't do that if people are have this barrier up. Well, and that's where empathy comes yes. in. When you actually are able to put yourself in another person's shoes and really try to understand. And so, um, I, I, you know, I have to say, I am so grateful that you said that you would talk to me on this podcast. Um, I've learned a lot. You know that I love you. You know that I love Ellis and that Asher loves Ellis. Yeah. And that, um, I, you know, I just, I hope that this conversation that we're having can be a conversation that a lot of people have and where they're just really listening to each other and trying to understand where black lives are coming from. And that's going to be the key. People have to be open and people also have to be willing to be uncomfortable because we're going to keep repeating these same tragedies. We're going to keep being divided unless we have these uncomfortable conversations or, and even, you know, do the work, you know, to get to the next level. Well, I'm glad I got to have this uncomfortable conversation with you because you didn't make it uncomfortable. But um, I want you to tell me a little bit about your podcast because you started a podcast and I started it. So let people know about your podcast. My podcast is called Blood, Sweat and Breast Milk. And it's all about uh, motherhood. It's specifically geared towards women of color. I say we talk about all things motherhood, but it's so funny. You can't have the conversation about motherhood as a black woman without it always gearing. Every time I have these topics, it's always very specific. 
you know, to the black experience, you know, but I feel like everyone can identify, you know, and that's when we're talking about, you know, we're talking about people having these commonalities, you know, we talk about, you know, things that are specific to black moms and women of color. And, you know, it's just a much needed space. Absolutely. And I've listened to it and it's really good. So I I, I really appreciate you again being here, Lisa. And And I appreciate I appreciate you. Um, That's the big thing is like people need to like I know I already said, you know, stay open. But that's the battle right there is people realizing what they're missing and then just being willing to come back and, you know, get get the knowledge you know and say okay what can i do with this and and nobody knows it all and there's no i feel like there's no room for being comfortable on there's no room for being uncomfortable right now yeah yeah you know just just do it we we're this is there's so much at stake there's lives at stake mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so but thank you again for having me we love you guys oh we love you too <laughs> And so here are my thoughts. Wow, this was enlightening. We have to be willing to self-reflect and learn. It's not the job of people of color to educate us for something that's been happening for centuries. It's just not. I learned that I need to educate myself beyond my own experiences. I know and I believe in my heart, all people are equal. But how can I be better at translating that into the world and also to my two boys, Asher and Jackson? Like Lisa said, it's the willingness to be curious and to act against racism. I'm committed. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Kids Under Construction. You can follow me on Instagram and now TikTok at Donna Tatro. Be sure to subscribe, download, listen, and tell your friends about this podcast. And... Let's keep building amazing kids.